Hello, this is Paul Derringer. Brother Dave Derringer is out for football season. Since he's busy announcing local football games, I've recruited, once again, Alton Derringer, my brother from another mother. Different father, too. Yeah. To assist with today's episode, Toad, The Wet Sprocket, Not Just Another 90s Band, and Why. Nothing so loud. Say hello, Alton. Hello, Alton. Thanks for letting me sit in, Paul. You know, Toad the Wet Sprocket is one of my favorite bands. Yes, you've seen them live a number of times since their official reunion in 2009. I have, and I believe I've dragged you along for a few of those concerts. You did. I was trying to figure out how many. I don't know. It's at least two I can remember. Yeah, two I think is right. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. What has shown up in the old inbox since our last episode? Derringer Discoveries listener feedback. Yeah, you know, we're getting a lot more correspondence out. A listener named Justin had a few comments for us. Death threats? No, just the comments of an avid music lover. Where's he writing in from? He didn't say. Maybe he's one of those unknowns that we talked about in the Sticks episode? Space station resident, you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, Justin could be one of those people on the space station. Justin, if you are, let us know. He informed us that with regard to episode 19, the Beatles' worst 10 songs, he strongly disagreed with my assessment that Maxwell's Silverhammer is one of the Beatles' worst 10 songs. Justin informed us that Maxwell's Silverhammer is actually one of his favorite Beatles songs. No kidding. Yeah. What would Justin put in place of Maxwell Silver Hammer? Well, interestingly, Justin mentioned that he would have included Dizzy Miss Lizzie on the Beatles' worst 10 list. Ah, but that violates our rules that we set out in episode 19. Dizzy Miss Lizzie was not written by a Beatle. That's right, Alton. Dizzy Miss Lizzie was written and released in 1958 by a songwriter slash recording artist named Larry Williams. Justin also informed us that regarding episode 20 on the killers peaked. And that's peaked with a question mark. Yes, that is peaked with a question mark. Justin believes that the killers have, in fact, jumped the shark. The kingdom of God, it's a pressure machine. Paul, how about another letter? Yeah, we heard from Steve Goldrich, who has written to us before. He's in a New York-based band called Gun Hill Road. He wanted more, it didn't seem right. Paul, let me check them out on the internet, see what they've done. Yeah, I think you'll be impressed. I've been a follower of Gun Hill Road since I was in fourth grade, if you can believe that. So tell our listeners a little bit about Gun Hill Road, if you would. Check this out, Paul. They have opened for Poco... Harry Chapin. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he'd grown up just like me. Gordon Lightfoot. Someday you better take care if I find you've been creeping round my backstairs. And get this, George Carlin. <laughs> you mean the comedian? Indeed. There are 400,000 words in the English language. And there are seven of them you can't say on television. Wow. Okay. That's impressive. And they had a legitimate top 40 hit in America and a number 53 hit in Canada. Back when my hair was short, I met some friends in court for stealing hubcaps from cars. 
what he wrote us out and he wrote to say we're working on another album sometimes we wonder if we're crazy to keep putting music out at our age but they said they're just writing it right now and they're going to press forward he also indicated to me that he is a regular listener of derringer discoveries excellent you know old musicians never die we just smell that way Any other letters, Paul? We heard from Dave Derringer. He wrote to tell us that he loved sticks, so he must have enjoyed our episode on sticks, which was episode 22? Hey, Paul, how about some other letters? We have three more letters that I'll read, and then we got to move on. All three of these letters say the same thing. One is from Dave from Oregon. One is from Laura from Roanoke, Virginia. And the third letter is from John from Richmond, Virginia. And I kid you not, all three independently requested that we should post a Derringer Discoveries episode on the Canadian band Rush. I think it's a Rush conspiracy. Well, we'll quickly add Rush to our list of future episodes. I guess you could say that we're going to rush for Rush. In the meantime, we hope that Dave, Laura, and John will keep listening and tell others about us. So, Paul, are you ready to dive into this episode? Alton, I'm ready to dive in, but first we need to remind our listeners to stick around after the episode for the post-episode playout. Today, we are featuring a band from Baltimore, Maryland. I'm Brian Gunderstorff. My band is called We're About Nine. We're About Nine? (laughs) We're About Nine. How did they come up with that name? We had to sign up on an open mic list. I want to say 1999, and uh, I made a joke about our maturity level being as if we were nine years old. I'm sorry to disturb you, mister, he said, but there's nobody flying this plane, and I've flown this airline before. There's usually somebody in the front. Who is in charge of my well-being? There's nobody else. This is Derringer Discoveries, where we take you, the listener, on a journey. A musical journey. Nothing so loud. In today's episode, we will review Toad the Wet Sprocket's new album called Starting Now, released in August 2021. We will also weigh in on whether or not Toad has jumped the shark and whether or not they have crossed the Rubicon. Crossing the Rubicon is reaching the point of no return. But Paul, to properly consider Toad's new album and weigh in on the Jump the Shark, Cross the Rubicon things, we need to first recap Toad's glory years. Yeah, I'm with you on that. In 1986, Toad the Wet Sprocket was formed by four lads who knew each other, These lads were not from Liverpool, but they were from San Marcos High School outside of Santa Barbara, California. However, they weren't called Toad the Wet Sprocket at the time. What were they called? Pollywog? (laughs) Believe it or not, they actually did not have a name at formation. When their first live gig approached, they thought it would be funny to use a fictitious rock band name. So they chose one they had heard in a Monty Python sketch. Yeah, there you go with the Monty Python. That sketch was written by Eric Idle of Monty Python fame, and it was called Rock Notes. Rex Stardust, lead electric triangle with Toad the Wet Sprocket, has had to have an elbow removed following their recent successful worldwide tour of Finland. A decade or so later, Eric Idle described what happened when he found out that a band was really using that name, Toad the Wet Sprocket. I once wrote a sketch about uh, rock musicians and I was trying to think of a name that would be so silly nobody would ever use it or dream it could ever be used. So I wrote the words, Toad the Wet Sprocket. (laughs) And a few years later I was driving along the freeway in LA 
and a song came on the radio and the DJ said, that was by Toad the Wet Sprocket. And I nearly drove off the freeway. Glenn Phillips, the lead singer for Toad, said that it was, quote, a joke that went on too long, unquote. And it was meant to just simply be a temporary name at the time. Yeah, I think we know about those jokes that go on too long. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, when the band formed in 1986, it consisted of Glenn Phillips, who was their lead singer, guitarist, and primary songwriter, who was just 15 years old at the time. Wow, he was underage, Alton. He truly was. He was joined by Todd Nichols, who was their guitarist and vocalist, Randy Gus, who was the drummer, both Todd and Randy were 19, and the bass player, Dean Denning, who also does background vocals. He was 20. Wow. Glenn Phillips, just 15 years old and writing songs for a band. That's pretty young. I think you were writing songs for our band at 15, weren't you? Yeah, I guess I was kind of encouraging you to mention that. I was about 15 when I was writing for one of our bands. I found a snippet from one of the songs from that time period called Arthur Fielder Jr. (laughs) Oh, no. You can't play it, Alton. It's just way too low quality. We've got to do it, Paul. I've got to show people what you were made of at 15. Yeah, Arthur Fielder Jr. It was our first song played on rock radio, 98.3 FM. In Lynchburg, Virginia. Yeah, in Lynchburg, Virginia. I think it's safe to say we were a band without a record contract, and we went absolutely nowhere. Well, we were definitely green and divided in our goals and objectives. Plus, the bass player was less than talented. Hey, wait a minute, Alton. I I think you were the bass player. Guilty as charged. But let's get back to Toad. In 1989, after a few short years, on the club circuit, Toad the Wet Sprocket released their first album, Bread and Circus. And get this, the entire album was recorded in just eight days, and it only cost them $650. Holy cow, that's cheap. <laughs> but it was probably cheap because they recorded it and released it on their own label, Abe's Record, but they only released it on cassette. We did the same thing. We actually did it before Toad did. We did it as early as I recall, 1984. We had a cassette out of our music. Yeah, but it didn't get assigned to a label. Toad's 1989 Abe's record release got them signed to a major label, Columbia. Yeah, Columbia. That's everyone's dream back in the 70s and 80s to get signed to Columbia. Bread and Circus, the album that they released on their own label, well, it was re-released by Columbia, but Toad insisted that Columbia agree not to remix it. A track from Bread and Circus called One Little Girl reached number 24 on Billboard's Modern Rock Charts, now known as Billboard's Alternative Chart. Let's play a snippet of that song, One Little Girl. Way Away is another great track from the album. It opens the album and gives us a foreshadowing of the band's future sound. In 1990, Toad the Wet Sprocket released their sophomore album, and that album was called Pale, P-A-L-E. The album itself wasn't really a commercial success, but their single, Come Back Down, reached number 27 on Billboard's alternative airplay chart. Down, 
listening to this sophomore album, you can tell that the band was beginning to mature and gel as a band. Which led to their first commercially successful album, 1991's Fear. With the lowercase f was an RIAA certified platinum album, and it produced not one, but two Billboard Hot 100 hits. Let's have a snippet of All I Want, which reached number 15. And the band's signature song, Walk on the Ocean, which reached number 18. It's surprising that their signature song didn't chart any higher than 18. I know, but you know, it's the song that everyone knows the band by, and it's been the song that they play for their encore at every one of the concerts that I've been to, and I think the ones you've been to as well. I think you're right. In my opinion, this album is loaded with hits. Toad is really hitting their stride on this album. Out and on Spotify, Toad's number one streamed song with almost 36 million streams is All I Want. And Toad's second most streamed song with more than 24 million streams is Walk on the Ocean. Yeah, it's kind of surprising that Walk on the Ocean isn't their number one streamed song since that's kind of the song everybody knows the band by. Yeah. I first discovered Toad late one night watching videos on MTV and a song came on called Is It For Me? That sound really just resonated with me. They reminded me a little bit of older R.E.M., which I had been listening to for years, but they were maybe a bit more melodic. Yeah, it was about this time that R.E.M. was going mainstream after having defined college rock radio since the early 80s. Precisely. In 1994, Toad released Dulcinea, which gave us such hits as Fall Down... reached number one on the U.S. modern rock charts, and Something's Always Wrong. wrong. Which landed at number nine on the same chart. But for me, there are better songs on this album. Better than the hits? Crowing is such an awesome song, I would love for our listeners to hear a snippet of it. You know, every time you say the name of a song, I have to produce a snippet. So that's really, uh, you're playing a hardball here, buddy. That's all right. We'll make the editing fun that way. (laughs) There's another song on that album, in addition to Crowing, that I really liked. And it was one that we featured on an earlier podcast. Yeah, you must be referring to Windmills. I am. Yeah. Glenn Phillips recorded Windmills when he released an album with Sarah and Sean Watkins under the name of Mutual Admiration Society. Sarah and Sean Watkins played in the band Nickel Creek with Chris Thiele. There's yet another song on this album that I think is fantastic. It's called Nancy. And best of all, the chorus includes a reference to Yuri Geller. Who would think to put Yuri Geller in a song? I'm afraid to ask. Listeners, I have no idea. Who is Yuri Geller? Come on. Paul, everybody, well, everybody but you knows who Yuri Keller is. All right. Listeners, do you know who Yuri Keller is? Because if you do, then I'll admit that I'm just out of the loop. Come on, Paul. He's the guy that bends spoons with his mind. Oh. <laughs> 
that Yuri Geller. I can't believe you. You bend your words like Yuri Geller's spoon. In 1995, Toad released an album called N Light Syrup. S-Y-R-U-P. Is that how you say it? Syrup, not syrup? Yeah, I'm not very good at saying that word. I can't either. But it was made up of B-sides, rarities, and a previously unreleased track. Toad had done a handful of songs for various movies and TV shows. The song Brother appeared on the 1993 soundtrack from the movie So I Married an Axe Murderer, starring Mike Myers. Little Heaven appeared on the 1992 Buffy the Vampire Slayer soundtrack. And this next song, Good Intentions, which you may recognize from a little TV show called Friends. In 1997, Toad released Coil. It's their follow-up studio album to 1994's Dulcinea. Coil was an edgier, more rock-heavy album than their earlier ones. Todd's guitars were more distorted, Glenn's voice seems a little bit more raspy, and even though the songs were still pop-leaning, you could almost hear the weariness leaking into their songs. After all, they've been performing steadily since 1986, a solid 11 years. So how did this album fare on the charts? It made it to number 19 on the Billboard 200. The single Come Down clocked in at number 13 on Billboard's Alternative Airplay, formerly known as Billboard's Modern Rock Chart. Was that the only single released from the album? It was the only single that charted. There were two other singles that were released, Crazy Life and Whatever I Fear, neither of which charted. Normally, Alton, I would stray away from mentioning these songs that didn't hit the charts, but Crazy Life is is interesting because it was not sung by Glenn Phillips. It was actually sung by Toad's guitar player, Todd Nichols. Isn't that right? Bingo. And it seems to be a lot more popular with the Toad fans on Spotify than Come Down, which was the single that charted. Yeah, let me check you out on this. I'm going to double check. Yeah, I'm looking this up right now. And you're right, Alton. Come Down has around 800,000 streams, but Crazy Life has over 3 million streams. Go figure. The Coil was not a commercial success. I still think it was a pretty great album, especially if you're a Toad fan. It's amazing that Toad, what with their melodic, indie pop, acoustic-driven sound, made it through the era of grunge. Paul, I think it was that they were a good alternative for music fans who preferred a sound that was less heavy than some of the others like Nirvana, Soundgarden, and Pearl Jam. Unfortunately, Alton, all good things must come to an end. Toad broke up the year after the album Coil was released. Uh, sad but true. I know that they had had their creative differences. Cool thing is, even after the breakup, Toad stayed in touch with each other. They played a lot of mini sets and short concerts for charity and various occasions throughout the 2000s. It looks like they started officially reforming around 2010. They also put out a greatest hits album called All You Want, 
which included new studio versions of their hits. Yeah, that's interesting. Apparently, they didn't have access to some of the original masters that they had done for Columbia in the 90s. Anyway, it seems like Toad had mended their creative differences and had begun to make music again together. The band crowdsourced the production of a new album in hopes of raising $50,000 in a two-month time frame. It took less than 20 hours to raise that money. When they closed out the fundraiser, a total contribution amount that they had collected was over a quarter million dollars. On October 15, 2013, Toad the Wet Sprocket released New Constellation. And when the album came out, it really sounded like they had picked up right where they had left off 16 years earlier, except the music and the lyrics were a little bit more mature, maybe a little bit wiser. The album reached 97 on the Billboard 200, and the song The Moment is approaching 1 million streams on Spotify. Although it's not as popular, California Wasted is a great song from that album as well. My wife, Kathy, and I, and that's Kathy with a K, caught the supporting tour for this album. Toad had just started touring again, and they were booking mainly smaller venues. We saw them at an intimate venue that seated around 450 people. And get this, Paul, we were on the second row. The band was fantastic. They were super tight. It was probably the most enjoyable concert I have ever been to. Paul, tell us when you went to see Toad. I went to see Toad, the wet sprocket, with you and Kathy with a K in August of 2016, right after the release of their Architect of the Ruin EP, which was released. It was released in June of 2016, right before we saw them. And I think the title cut from this EP made it to the show. Be still. It is all. After that, you and I and Kathy... With a K? With a K. We did another Toad trip in September of 2018 to see them in Richmond, Virginia. We had, I think, a good view. We were kind of looking down on the stage. Fast forward to January 2020, right before the beginning of the pandemic, Glenn Phillips announced that Toad had started recording again. He also announced that Toad's longtime drummer, Randy Gus, had left the band on good terms. I think Randy had health issues is what I'm understanding. Is that correct? Right. He suffers from, let me try to say this, osteogenesis imperfecta. It's a genetic bone disorder, also known as brittle bone disease. Wow. And I did notice that Toad had a different drummer for the two concerts I attended with you, Alton. Yeah, Randy stopped touring with the band in recent years due to the toll that it took on his health. Right. So you saw them with Randy Gus, and then I saw him with, I guess, the new drummer, or was it a touring drummer? It was, at the time, a touring drummer. You and I both saw him. His name is Josh Dobbin. He's a session musician out of Nashville and Los Los Angeles, and from what I can tell, is now considered a member of the band. Alton and I have each independently picked our three favorite songs from Toad's new album called Starting Now. All right, the battle of wits has begun. 
Dillinger Discovery's pick number three. My number three pick by Toad the Wet Sprocket from their new album, Starting Now, is Hold On. I need a little bit of hope. One ray of light. Need just enough peace to make it through the night. I want to leave all I know. Forget my name. I want a wisdom deep enough to stand through constant. And that's a snippet of Hold On. The reason I picked Hold On is because, in my view, it's a classic Toad song and it's upbeat. Alton, what's your number three pick from Starting Now? My number three pick is Fever. Oh, my children, where you gonna go? Now you lost the land you called your home When the earth is burning fever on her brow Crying, oh my children, who will save you now? Fever is a slow song that could probably be on one of Glenn's solo albums, but I think the band adds some great ingredients to this recipe. It's a song about climate change and about what is going on in our environment today. pick number two. Paul, what's your number two pick? The best of me. She's a light in the darkness. She's the song that I can't stop saying when I'm away home. And that's a snippet of The Best of Me. It features, if you've heard that voice, it's Michael McDonald from the Doobie Brothers and various other bands. She says, Yeah, Michael really makes the songs good, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He's a good addition. So that's why it's my number two pick. Alton, what's your number two pick? I was really torn with my number two pick. There's a song on this new album called Dual Citizen that was kind of strangely unique for Toad. That song, Dual Citizen, it's unlike anything that Toad has done before. It's kind of experimental, but it's so different. It doesn't really sound like Toad, so I ended up picking the same song as you for my number two pick. So wait a minute, you, you're saying that Alton Derringer, who is perhaps Toad the Wet Sprocket's number one fan, is deferring to Paul Derringer on the number two pick? I would say deferring only because you went first. <laughs> Derringer's discoveries pick number one. So Paul, what's your number one pick? My number one pick is Transient Whales, and that's W-H-A-L-E-S, as in the creature that swims in the ocean. I miss calling someplace home. I miss thinking I could know where I would spend my final days. 
plant a seed and watch it grow. Paul, that's my number one song, too. Not that I'm deferring to you again. It's only because you went first. Uh, I think it's because I have great taste, and I can really pick out a hit song when I hear one. Now in dreams I swim with the transient As you can tell, I tend to like songs with a touch of melancholy. And I'm actually surprised that you chose this one because you normally like more upbeat songs. Yeah, you're right, Al. And I do prefer an upbeat song. But I have to tell you, when someone does a melancholy song well, I fall in love with it. So let's just say... Listeners, if you haven't heard Transient Wells, I am imploring you. You've got to listen to it because once you do, you're going to be like me. You're going to want to listen to it over and over and over again. It's that good. All we have is each other. Alton, I think it's important that we weigh in. How do you think Starting Now compares with Toad's classic catalog? I'm not sure this album will produce any top hits. It is, without a doubt, a great Toad album. I don't believe any of Toad's fans will be disappointed by this album. It's actually quite solid. Yeah, and Alton, as you know, I am a fan of Toad, but not as big as you are. And I think it's a solid album. So, Paul, with this new album, and for $25,000... Has Toad jumped the shark? Well, you know, Alton, I always think about this, because are you offering me $25,000 to say that Toad has jumped the shark, or are you saying the question is a $25,000 question? It's a $25,000 question. I don't have $25,000 to give you. (laughs) Yeah, I I think, for me, Toad has not jumped the shark, and they have given us a timeless sound. A lot of the 90s bands sound very dated in my ears, and they sounded dated even then. I didn't really like 90s music that much, but Toad made it more earthy and more about the music and the lyrics. And so as a result, their music has not been dated and they're true to who they are. So no, they haven't jumped the shark. I think they're as good now as they ever were. I really do agree with you, Paul. They continue to put out good music. They still sound like classic Toad the Wet Sprocket, though a bit more mature, maybe a little more hopeful. They're experimenting a little bit. And I'll really be curious to see if Josh, their new drummer, can invigorate them for the long haul, though 35 years is pretty long time as it is. I consider Toad to be a perennial band. I like that word out in perennial because my wife is into flowers and a perennial band means they may come and go and they may no longer be on the charts but their music continues to be excellent and they come back time and time again and give us surprising wonderful songs so i don't think they've jumped the shark and it sounds like you don't either it's safe to say you have to jump the shark before you can cross the rubicon so no they haven't crossed the rubicon either are you in agreement with that Absolutely. You know, Glenn Phillips continues to write excellent songs, and Toad the Wet Sprocket continues to play the songs well, and I think they have a lot of run left in them. Alton, it's time to wrap it up. This is Paul. This is Alton. If you like what you hear, please follow Derringer Discoveries, leave us a review, and tell others about us. Be sure to click like on today's playlist, Toad the Wet Sprocket, not just another 90s band and why, only available on Spotify. Thank you for listening to Derringer Discoveries. In your sister's room. Hey everybody, thanks for sticking around for today's post-episode playout about a band called We're About Nine. 
This band is made up of Katie Graybill, Brian Gundersdorf, and Pat Klink. I'm Brian Gundersdorf. My band is called We're About Nine. We always refer to ourselves as a Baltimore area band. We met in historic Ellicott City, which is just outside of Baltimore. Um, I live in Florida now in the northeast corner of Florida with Katie, who's also in the band, is, is my wife. We live here. Pat's still in that Baltimore area. I'm sorry to disturb you, mister, he said, but there's nobody flying this plane, and I've flown this airline. The airlines seem to have their own services that they use planes, and they must use an algorithm, of course, that scans through the, the lyrics of songs and looks for something that's plane-related. For many years, this is true, we get a statement at the end of the year that lets us know what radio stations and etc. Um, are are playing our music, and there's a section for the airlines, and all of the major airlines, the most common We're About Nine song that they've ever played is Nobody Flying. I have seen a button like this one in a movie where everyone lives, but you're trade tables in their upright positions but your seats and trade tables in their upright positions are your seats and trade tables in their upright positions there's nobody flying this It was a hit on airlines and it is you know to whatever extent that we're about nine has ever had hits uh, it's it's been one of them it's been a, an, an audience favorite we've probably started more shows with that song they have a number of albums on spotify i am going to pick believe it or not alton originally i was going to pick my top nine songs yeah but we don't have time for that for today's episode play out we're going to keep it to three my top three favorite songs by we're about nine pick number three my third favorite song live with this if you ever gamble if you ever lie if you ever hurt someone else for the sake of your own I think most of us, if we ask ourselves this question, come to a pretty clear answer that we are conflicted all the time. If you have chemicals firing all over your head, telling you not to do what all the other chemicals said. When you realize that, I think it makes it a lot easier to forgive other people, which I think is an important part of finding joy in the world. You are living in, you are living in, you are living such a fun song to perform and, and the audiences that know us best sing along in the chorus of that one and it becomes this big fun thing to sing along with my number two song is a song written by all three of them pat katie and brian it's called future pilot and it's the title track to their last album i came in and i wrote a first verse message to my former self Katie originally wrote a song, and we grabbed the chorus from that, and that is the chorus of the song. that we needed a good strong second verse and I reached out to Pat and I said Pat we've never done this we've never written a song with all three of us uh, contributing lyrics this is the one I want you to write a second verse and it's going to be about baseball and he's a baseball expert a big fan uh, particularly of the Orioles and if you listen to that song the second verse is about this moment when he was a kid at the stadium watching a baseball game and it felt like time stopped and 
83 you'll see the birds from wooden seats on 33rd when brother love cements the wind you'll feel time stop pick number one my number one pick well, we're about nine is a song written by Brian Gundersdorf. It's called What You Are. It's the story of somebody who in his youth had a friend that maybe was more popular, more engaged with the world, more exciting, but made time for him anyway. We were young. We didn't know what we wanted to be. When we got old, I liked to build stuff. I worked with my dad. And he smiled when he told me I should do that We got to high school You were the girl That they wanted to look like You were the pearl And I was the oyster We were old friends Getting coffee together When you had a free weekend And as they grow older That person that was the, the more exciting More engaging person Gets into a career that beats her down a little bit We were young we didn't know what we wanted to be When we got old I told you to go be a star Now I blame myself And that's what you are And then at some point she kind of hits rock bottom and that's the climax of the song that, that goes on during the bridge We were young We didn't know what we wanted to be When we got old I shrugged when I told you to go be a star Now I blame myself And that's what you are And that's what you are And that's what you are I've been Brian Gunderstorff from We're About Nine here on Derringer Discoveries. Such a pleasure to join you here today. I hope our listeners will check out today's playlist. Toad the Wet Sprocket, not just another 90s band, and why? We're going to add these songs to the end of that playlist so you can go right from Toad into We're About Nine. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I hope that you'll click like and subscribe. 